was, I wasn't quite sure. Look at this. My wife's bangles are on the pulpit from this. I am terrible for leaving stuff lying around. Anyone else leave stuff lying around? I've got, yeah, yeah, some, some parents pointed at children. I've got five kids. Can you imagine what it's like in our house with stuff being left lying around? Um, summer is here. Anyone enjoying the sunshine? Anyone appreciating it? Anyone done anything? It's kind of like, it, it feels like in the last week or two, it's, it's really arrived. We dusted off the bikes, got the bikes out and got the kids all ready. And uh, my, my children, we, we have a history of going on bike rides. We've always loved it. In fact, at one point in our last house, no, our last but one house, but one house, um, the three of our older children, we used to go out on bike rides. In fact, I think we even had Eleanor coming along at this point. And we even got to the point where we had a dog on a lead, kind of like literally tied to my bike. While the, in fact, Eleanor was on like one of the on the bike. And then we had the three other kids kind of in front or behind and around. And, and literally, we've just got history of bike rides. We kind of love doing it. Um, we got a bit of money a couple of years ago. And so we decided to buy some new bikes for the kids, and, and, and we did that. And anyway, we hadn't been out really for the last kind of six, nine months. I don't really like going out for cycling in the winter. Any s winter cyclisting? Anyone? Yeah, I've got a hand up at the back. Anyone do the whole Lycra thing? Any, any Lycra cyclist in here? No. Yeah, yeah, we've got one at the back. <laughs> don't do the Lycra thing. You'll be pleased to know. Okay, um, winter thing either. I'm not a big fan of winter. Is this popping in and out all the time? Yeah, that. We won't put up with that. One, two, is this working, Neil? Uh, sorry, Lee. So we dusted off the bikes, and my youngest daughter, Charlotte, who is six, we decided it was time I need to not take a touch out of that. I can hear the feedback, guys. Uh, Charlotte's um, one, two, are we okay there? Is that about right? One, two, one, two. One, two, one, two. Is it better on the other mic? Step back. I can't step. L listen, I, I like to preach here on the edge of the stage. You knock, it, knock it down a touch because I'll shout down this thing. Don't worry about that. Try that, Lee. If it doesn't work, I'll just shout. Is that, is that okay? Is that better? Yeah. Okay, so, yeah, we dusted off. Uh, Lee was saying before, can I go back? Right. Dusted off the bikes. Got Charlotte, who is my youngest, and she's the only one who can't quite ride a bike yet. So we got her riding, and, and, and we did it, and she can ride her bike. Five children, and they can all ride the bikes. I've trained them all. I really, I, it was almost, it's one of them moments when I, I finally got a taught to ride a bike. I felt like if I dropped dead now, it wouldn't be so bad. I've accomplished something with my life. All five of my kids can ride a bike. My wife is another matter, but we won't go there. But anyway, so got them all sorted. And then we went on a bike ride and I was cycling along and I had this moment of realization. In fact, I heard a story 
about, uh, one of the things I want to talk about tonight, or what I want to use in the subject, in the topic that I'm talking about, is habits and having good habits. Anyone know the value of having good habits? Romans says about tra- our lives being transformed. That speaks to me of when something's transformed, it then becomes permanent. It then becomes something that is something that we just automatically do. And I heard about a, 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 a basketball player. I've told a couple of people this. I don't think I've mentioned it in church. In America, who was being paid a fortune to do this basketball commercial. And one of the things he needed to do in this basketball commercial, he's like top of his game. I've got his name somewhere, but it's not important. One of the things he had to do in this basketball commercial was he had to kind of dribble along, do the jump shot, and miss it. At the last minute, miss it. It took him 12 attempts to miss it. 12 attempts to miss the hoop. Think about that. I I mean, they could have paid me half the money. I'd have done it in one. It really wouldn't have been an issue. This guy, it took him 12 attempts to miss it. We think of you know, of doing that kind of thing is a really difficult thing to do. And the point being that this guy has worked and and he's developed it and he's practiced doing it right and doing it perfectly to the point now where it's actually harder for him to do it wrong than to do it well. And we were cycling the other day with the little ones and I'm cycling along and I was thinking about this. Well, actually, it it, it caused me to think about this as I'm cycling along because obviously you can imagine where anyone taught the kids to ride the bike or being involved in that, and it's done that whole thing where you're running along. I mean, how painful is that, right? For four kids, I ran along like that for hours, days on end to get them to learn to ride the bike until I discovered that the best way of doing it is holding them under your arm, and that works better, and she got it almost like that. It was dead easy, and it doesn't hurt your back. So anyone who's got little kids, that's the way to do it. But anyway, so I'm cycling along, and I'm thinking about Charlotte falling off a bike and, you know, and how much she fell off and to learn and to get to do it. And, and I'm thinking about this as I'm cycling along, right? And I'm thinking to myself, I couldn't fall off this bike if I tried. Anyone cycled? How difficult would it be to be cycling along on your bike and purposely fall off? In fact, I think it'd be virtually impossible. I don't think you could actually do that. I'm not on about you could never fall off your bike. Obviously, if someone come out in front of you or your tire burst or whatever, absolutely, we could all fall off in them circumstances. But I'm on about you cycling along and just to decide, hey, I'm going to fall off my bike. How could you do? You couldn't do that, could you? If you if you struggle, if you don't cycle and you're struggling to understand that one, imagine this one. If you're walking along, how? In fact, when you were learning to walk as a toddler, you won't remember this but you would have fallen over lots of times, I can promise you that. You would have stumbled and fell and picked yourself up again, or your parents would have picked you up again, and you'd have had all of that experience. How difficult would it be, who could do it, come to the front and just fall over? Unless you're a trained professional footballer, it's really, really difficult just to fall over for no reason whatsoever. I mean, and those guys, they spend days, weeks, years training to do that so well that they can trick the referee into believing that they've been fouled. Anyway, so this is one of the things I want to talk about. Anyone heard the phrase, first world problems? Anyone heard that? This is the phrase that's going around the last few years, and I I quite like this phrase because it sums things up really, really well. I'll give you an example of a first world problem. I heard a teenager recently 
and they've got a fairly nice, decent new phone. And they were complaining about something to do with when they when they change from one app to another and, and the kind of app loads on the screen and it comes up that it doesn't quite load square and, and, and there's something not quite right with it as it appears on the screen. So it kind of comes up and it seems to be slightly skew width. And they were like really having a moan about this. This was like, this was, you know, we're on about these kids in other countries who don't have phones. There's kids in other countries who don't have food, medicine, you know what I mean? And, and this person is complaining. Now, here's the thing, we've all done it. Anyone, anyone that heard of GDPR? Yeah, GDPR. Is everyone else in this? I'm assuming everyone must be in the same boat. That literally, if you're like me, you've been contacted by email by every company you've ever had anything to do with, ever. Companies you've forgotten that you ever had anything to do with, and they're all contacting you to tell you that they've updated. That we, hey, great news, we've now updated our, G, our kind of privacy settings, and you've never even heard of them. You don't even know when anyone, yeah, we're all, get, we're all in that situation. I'm moaning about that and complaining about that. That's a first world problem in it, because it's clogging up my inbox. That's a first world problem in it. That's not like having no food or not having medicine or these kind of things. That is not really a difficult, difficult thing. It's a minor inconvenience, a minor annoyance. There's a well in France, in a house in France, and this well is from the 17th century. So it's an old well, and it's got a rope that you use. It, it doesn't have one of those windy things. There's just a rope that it's lowered down in, into the, the well and to the water below. And this, this well, okay, there's a groove at the front of the well that the rope runs through. It's from the 17th century. It's potentially kind of like, you know, three, 400 years old. Here's the thing, right? That rope constantly goes through the groove, okay? In fact, to the point, it's incredibly difficult to get that rope to go any other way other than the groove that is already worn into the well. It's fixed. It will be difficult to get it to go any other way. The rope naturally defaults to the groove because the groove is so well-worn. Isn't it the same with us? Isn't it the same with us? Aren't the things that we do in our lives that we've been doing them for years and they're so well-worn, they're so well-trodden, this path, this, this response. Maybe it's a response to something somebody says to you. Maybe there's a, a certain word when someone uses that word to you, you, you respond to it and you respond to it in a certain way. Maybe it's a certain situation that comes around and, and when that situation appears, you respond to it in a certain way. Maybe it's a fear thing. Maybe it's something that happens in your life and it's a fear thing. I heard about uh, about kind of romance and things like that and, a, and an example was being talked about this. It was being talked about how, I mean, it's a common scenario, this, when you've got someone and they fall in love, okay, and it's all going really, really well and then something goes wrong and, and the relationships break, break up it doesn't work out and they get really, really hurt. Maybe it's no fault of their own, whatever. And suddenly now, they can't go that way anymore. Suddenly now, their response, whenever they get into a relationship, is now that, hey, I, I've got to step back here. They get to a point, maybe something happens in the relationship, and suddenly now it's like, 
whoa, 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 I've got to take a step back here. I can't get burnt there anymore. I can't go there anymore. I can't go to that place. It doesn't have to be a, a, a romantic relationship. It could be just a general situation. It could be a family situation. It could be a situation that you faced in church in the past. Plenty of people have had situations that have arisen in church where they've felt like they've got hurt by someone, someone's offended them, and suddenly something similar happens. If someone says something to them or responds in a certain way, suddenly there's a response that comes, and, and it's an automatic response because it's well-worn. It probably started like that, that groove in the well three, four hundred years ago. And it started very small, and that's just the response that, that helped at the time. And suddenly now it's just become something that it's fixed. And how do we move it? And how do we retread it? And how do we change it? I would suggest tonight that one of the keys to living a, a, a good Christian life and listen, let me explain what I mean by a good Christian life. I would call a good Christian life, I would define it like this, a life of faith. The Bible says, God says himself that the only way to please him is by faith. One person agrees with me. That's good. I'll take one. I'll take that. It would be nice if there was a bigger response, but hey, that's okay. Let's just try that one again. The Bible says God himself I'm assuming there's some, any Christians, in, let's, let's start off with something easier. Any Christians in this place tonight? Yeah, there's three, four, five, something like that. We're not doing, oh no, there's a few more hands going up. Okay, so God, right, your, your, your leader, <laughs> your God, your master, your friend, your savior, your king, he says this, the only way to please him is by faith. So, oh, that's good, that's, 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 that's good, that's a good start. Patmon did it really well the other morning, didn't she? Anyone who was in, she kind of really, re, she really got that one really well. I was, I was a bit, I was like, wow, that's good. I'll have to use that. Anyway, if you want to live a good Christian life, a life of faith, I would suggest this, that a lot of it, we can think it's really, really complicated and complex and stuff like that. I would suggest this to you tonight, that a lot of it is about developing good habits. Developing good habits to the point that they become a bit like falling off the bike. It's harder to respond in a bad way than it is in a good way. In fact, if, you ever, if, you, if you're good at something, have you ever had that moment? Maybe you can play the guitar really well or the drums really well or maybe you're a good public speaker or maybe you're good at working with spreadsheets or maybe you're really good at kind of organizing a group of guys who work out on lorries and stuff like that. I don't know, whatever it is that you do, maybe you're an accountant and you can struggle with a whole load of work being placed on your plate, okay? And then someone comes up to you and they start going about how amazing it is what you do and you're kind of like thinking, is it? I don't know, I just kind of do it. It's not even hard. Why? Why is that? How is that? That is because you've just become used to doing that. You've got good at it. You've worked out what works and you carry on down those routes and you just develop good habits. And I want to... I want us to develop good habits. I want us to develop some good habits. And I want us to develop some good habits in some of the things that in, in one particular area. And it is this. It is in trouble and persecution and problems and issues. Suffering, if you like. When those negative things come in life and, and something comes along and it brings those unpleasant feelings, shall we call them. We all know what those unpleasant feelings are. Maybe it's envy. 
Maybe it's jealousy. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's frustration. Maybe you're just frustrated because you didn't get what you want or things didn't go the way you wanted them to. Maybe it's that you're feeling a sense of loss because you had something and now that's not there anymore and that's gone and it's one of those unpleasant feelings in life. And maybe, maybe it's something, a, a, an issue that's in your life and it's just not getting dealt with. And it's, a, a, it's an emotional issue because it's someone you love or it's someone that's close to you or, and, and you're seeing them suffering and that's causing you pain. You're feeling the pain from someone else's suffering. How do we deal with that? What does God say about that? What's the truth of that situation? What is the kind of, how do we handle all of that stuff? You know, I, I wasn't going to share this actually, but I, it was literally in the worship and, and I just felt God say, I'll share a few of these things. Just touch on this. And I, I, could, I could very easily talk about Tina here because one of the things I'm, I'm, I'm making comparisons all the way through this hear them. So we're talking about kind of an issue with your mobile phone that it doesn't quite look perfect. Comparing that to a real issue that someone else is facing and, you know, and, and now that me and Vicky are, are running the church and so you, we face regularly things where it seems to be a, a common thing for Christians when things don't go their way to then react in a negative way. Anyone seen that? Anyone experienced that? Anyone done that themselves? I've done that. I've done that, right? So this ain't me kind of pointing fingers or whatever. But what happens is when you're the one suddenly in that driving seat, if you like, then what happens is all them guns get pointed at you. They're probably they're obviously pointed at God a lot more than they are me and Vicky, clearly. But they kind of get pointed in our direction then. And so then that can be difficult. You've got to kind of learn how to handle that and how to respond to that and how to take all that stuff on the chin and things like that. I suppose that, uh, we never want to get to the place where we just don't care because that's clearly not the answer, is it? Well, oh well, who cares? You know, someone gets upset or they throw the dummy out the pram or whatever, you know what I mean? I'm not going to get upset about that. No, we, I want to still feel it, but I don't want to feel it to the point where it suddenly means I can't respond or I can't do what I need to do anymore. It's gotta, there's got to be a middle ground, hasn't there, where I feel it, but it doesn't kill me and it doesn't bring me down. And, and we've been through some stuff. Even just recently, there's been some stuff that's happened that's been difficult and, you know, and, and, you, and you think, oh, that's you know, again, and, and you can get let down by people and stuff like that. But when I think about that, and then Vicky raised something that, that and anyone who doesn't or doesn't know, that Tina and uh, her husband started the church kind of 30 years or more ago now, maybe a longer than that. Her and her husband, and then her husband eventually, he, he was struck down with cancer and eventually he died. And Tina carried on the church. She'd looked for someone else for about a year, as I recall, that I wasn't in the church at that point, looking around to see if there was, in, in her eyes, and, and, you know, I'm just using her words, another man to take the role on because she felt that, you know, that would be the right thing, what it should be. And that never happened. None of the men in the church could put their hands up and say, yeah, it's me, we need to do that. And so Tina carried on with the church on her own. And so you think about what me and Vicky are going through or what we've been through, and 
So we've got each other. So this is how the church is going to still living. So that's even harder, isn't it? You think about that and you think, wow, that's, that's really difficult that she went through all of that. I mean, I'm not doing it justice. Some of the stuff, we're having an awful lot of it, don't we? Some of the events and all of the, some of the stuff that happened. So what's the truth about all this persecution and suffering and the problems and all the negative stuff? Well, the first thing I want you to know is this. I'm not going to labor this too much because this really is a simple one for me, right? It ain't God's fault, all right? Let's just get it out there, right? It ain't God's fault. I know that a lot of us want to blame him, all right, because he's an easy target. And I know what that's like because a lot of people want to blame us for everything, you know what I mean? The color of the curtains, you name it, it's all our fault, you know? <laughs> it's all our fault. It's all, it's all us. So I can kind of have a bit of an insight, clearly a bit. When I say a bit, I mean like that much of what it must be like for God. Everyone wants to blame God. He's the easiest target, isn't he? Let's just blame it all on God. It's all his fault. It ain't God's fault, right? Let's just clear that up. It ain't God's fault, okay? He's not to blame for the issues in this world, okay? God created the world perfect. It says in Genesis 3, it is or is it Genesis 2? I might even read one, actually. I've not got this verse up. But at, at the end of it, when he'd finished creating it all, he said, it is good. And that Hebrew word that he used for good, is it implies perfect. It implies a godly standard of good. Okay? But one of the verses I do want to look at in Genesis 3 is we all know, everyone knows about the fall and Adam and Eve and, and God told them. I always think with this, I've mentioned this before, he gave them one thing not to do. Just one. Not like a thousand things. It wasn't like you can only eat off that tree. Any others. It was like, no, anything. The entire garden is all of yours. It's just this one tree in the middle. Nah. Would you mind just stop touching that one? All the others you can have, just that one in the middle. Just leave that one alone. And they couldn't. They couldn't just leave that one. Am I the only one that thinks, when you think of it like that? You know, it's not difficult, is it? You know what I mean? Here's the first thing I'd say about that. I genuinely believe if that had been me or you in the garden, we'd have done exactly the same thing as Adam and Eve did. 100%. I think every single one of us would have done exactly the same thing. I think it's a human nature thing. It's a human nature problem that, that ultimately, go, and it comes with having free will, I would suggest, but that's just me. I'm not trying to convey that from the Bible. But what you do notice is this, that, that then becomes a curse from that. God has told them. He's told them forehand. He's told them before the event. It's not like they've done that and then he's gone, oh, right, now you've had it. It's like, no, I told you beforehand. I warned you. I told you. And, and God is a man of his word. Okay? And, and he told them. And the result, one of the major results was thorns. Thorns. Before that, no thorns in the world. After that, thorns. I think it's a great parallel when you then think that what did Jesus wear on his head at the end? A crown of thorns. He wore a crown of thorns on his head. The thorns were there, not just as a, they, they were there as a realistic reality thing. Anyone who's worked in a garden and got pricked by a rose bush knows thorns are real. It's not just a metaphor, but it's also a metaphor, isn't it? Thorns of, of trouble, problems, issues. It's suddenly not going to be all roses. Now the roses have got thorns attached to them. 
they're suddenly not just pretty and beautiful and they look great. Suddenly, if you get too close to them, you get hurt by them. But what I think is amazing is that virtually immediately afterwards, the next kind of one of the next key events or the next key event, there's a few things, they all happen around the same time, okay? So Adam and Eve, they kind of mess up. You know, God warns them, they mess up. He tells them about the curse and the consequences of what they've just done. And then the very next thing that happens, apart from Adam, Maiden, and Eve, is that God covers the stone. If you've got it, Genesis 3.18, if you've got that up to, to put up, that's that one. Can that go up? Can you get that up? Is it possible? But it essentially, what Genesis 3.18 says is this, that God clothed them clothed them in animal skins. Now, some people have suggested that that means that God made the first sacrifice. That's a presumption. We don't know that. The Bible doesn't tell us that for certain. For all we know, he could have just created animal skins for that purpose. You can, you can think that, but we don't know that for certain, okay? So we, I don't want to get too much into that because it's a presumption. But here's the thing. What we know for fact is this, that Adam and Eve sinned and were disobedient and God's first response was to clothe them, was to cover them. Suddenly they couldn't walk around naked. I'll give you an example. If I was stood here naked, the police wouldn't be long before they were turning up to arrest me for indecent exposure. So clearly none of us agree we're just walking around naked. That can't happen anymore. That's a consequence of sin. And what was God's first thing that he did? He, he himself got down and clothed them. He repaired the issue for them. The very first thing that happened. Is that speaking to you? I, I would suggest this. Here's where I'm going with this. There's lots of places we could go with this, I promise you. But we haven't got long. I've got nine minutes and 43 seconds left, so I've got to be quick. I'm going to go to this place with it, okay? That God shows us initially. He clothes us initially. But then after that, anyone read anywhere else about God providing clothes for Adam and Eve? No. Anyone else find out about God just sending clothes? Now, I know that the clothes didn't wear out when they, were in, when they were wandering through the wilderness. That's right, isn't it? But other than that, God's not like constantly going around. We don't, clothes don't just appear in our wardrobe. We work for them. We create them. We make them. We get pay someone else to do it for us. You name it, whatever. So God does it initially, and then we do it ourselves. Are you with me? He does it first. He shows us. He models it, if you like. But then it's for us to do it. Then it's over to us. Then it's our responsibility. Then it's down to how do we respond. You know, it says in the Bible that when you go through deep waters, he's with you. You are not alone. I want to tell you this. When you go through persecution, when you go through trouble, when you go through problems, when you go through painful experiences, whatever they are, and, and sometimes they're not easy to explain to someone else because they're personal to you and someone else wouldn't necessarily understand wh how that's painful to you because they've not lived your life. So they don't know how that causes you pain. 
Some people may have even dismissed it as if it's not relevant or whatever. But when you go through these painful experiences, God is there. He is with you. He is with you. You are not alone. It's one of the most important things to realize when you're going through it. You are not alone. He is there. It may not necessarily always feel like he's there, but he is. He's there. If you call out to him and you cry out to him, he responds. He's there. Problem is we don't always cry out to him and then we complain that we don't know he's there, but we've not actually then, if you think back, did we actually cry out to him? Did we actually get down on our knees? Did we actually really genuinely pray to him and ask him? Did we speak in tongues or whatever it is that you do to connect with the Holy Spirit? Did we do any of that stuff? Because when we do, did you come and, and seek help from someone in the church and we pray with you and then experience and feel his presence? He's there. He's there. He is there. When we go through deep waters, he is there. Listen, I, I love God. So I'm slightly biased in my, you know, my angle, if you like, on, on God. I don't generally as a person moan and complain. When I hit problems and troubles and persecutions and painful experiences, my first place isn't to moan and complain and cry at God. It's generally to look at myself and think, what am I getting wrong? What have I done wrong here? How do I, how do I change? How do I get this better next time so this doesn't happen? But he's there. He's there in every single circumstance. He's there. It's never his fault. I want to look at some scriptures. Hebrews 12. We're going to put these scriptures up. If you've got Bibles with you, it's a great place to go to. It's one of the, one of the most powerful scriptures in the Bible. It's really, really famous. Quoted countless, countless times. Starts off like this. It says, therefore... Since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses, that sounds to me like we're not alone. That sounds to me like not just God is with us, there are heavenly hosts all around us. There are the saints that have gone before us potentially watching over us. We are not alone. We are not alone. Since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down. What are the things, what are the things that are slowing you down? What are the things that are holding you back? What are the things, in fact, if you think about what it says there, it says the things that are slowing us down. He's not even talking about, we think it was Paul that wrote Hebrews, but we're not completely sure. But the writer is talking about just things that slow us down. He's not even talking about things that, that stop you. But we could easily apply to this things that literally, I am sure that, that, that we have all got things in our lives that they don't just slow us down. They literally stop us. They hinder us. They cause us to seize. They cause us to, to react in a way we don't want to. 
they, they wreck things in our lives. They hold us back. They stop us. They derail us. And Paul's just talking about, hey, listen, if that's the case, if we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses, even just the things that slow us down, not even the things that stop you, even just the things that are slowing you down, even the slight problems, maybe you're still running, but you're just not quite running as fast because of this thing that's that's weighing you down on your back. And it, it's just, you, your speed isn't quite as fast as it could be. Maybe you're only getting a bronze medal instead of a gold or a silver instead of a gold. Let us strip off every, not just some of them, every. Our responsibility, if you want to live a good life, a good Christian life, a life of faith, our responsibility is all of these things that are holding us back, all of these things that are slowing us down, all of these weights that we're carrying around, is to get rid of all of them. Every, he doesn't say some of them, every, every single one, every weight that slows us down. And then he goes on to say, especially, to know this, every, but especially, the sin, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. The things that are derailing you, the things that are stopping you from being the best you, the very, very best you that you could possibly be. Have you ever asked God? What is, what is the best me I could possibly be? Have you asked him that? Or are you so burnt and scarred by the things that have happened to you, the experiences, and the fact that now you're so broken that you feel like, well, hey, the best is gone now. I'm just going to muddle through and, and do what's possible. Have you given up? Have you given up on the best? Anyone given up on the best? That's the moment I want silence. That's good. That's really good. So not only this, not only are we to strip away, to clear out, get, it's like the garden, get rid of all the weeds, not just some of them, not just tidy it up a little bit, get rid of all of them. Yes, I know that new ones will come up again. Anyone done that? You've done your garden and it looks fantastic and then new ones come up again. They come up again. That's what happens. That's life, guys. But hey, remember, it's not God's fault. And... Let us run with endurance, with endurance. That speaks to me of not giving up. That speaks to me of not just sprinting for a little bit, but planning, planning to run to the very end, planning to keep going and not give up, to make it all the way through, not to just throw our dummy out the pram or have a moan and complain and whinge when it's not going our way but to plan for the long distance, to plan for the end, to keep going to the very end. If you were in this morning, you'll have heard this as saying to my kids, constantly hear these people saying, maybe you're one of them, oh, you know, I, I wish I'd have done well at school, I wish I hadn't messed about at school. You've heard them people, maybe you're one of those people that says that because you messed about at school. And I was saying to my boys, we've got the GCSEs coming up. I said, hey, boys, listen. I said, have you ever noticed when people say that? They're speaking from a place of pain. They're not glorying in the fact that they've given up. That's actually painful to them. They're telling you because they don't want you to go down and make the same mistake that they made. They regret it. 
I went on to say this. I said, have you ever heard the other group of people who come and they say, hey, do you know what? I really wish I'd have messed about at school. I wish I'd have failed them GCSEs. I really wish I'd have just had, had a laugh and not bothered. And, you know, anyone heard any of them? You don't hear many of them, do you? You don't hear many of them. Obviously, I was encouraging them. Don't be. Don't be. You can't go back and change it. And listen, when you plan to go to the very end, when you plan to run to the very, very end, I promise you this, when you reach it, when you get to the end, you won't be regretting it. There's plenty of people get towards the end and they talk with regret about the things that they didn't do and the mistakes that they made and how they wish they hadn't done this and they wish they hadn't done that. There's not many that have ran with endurance, that have seen that life of faith. I don't hear them complaining and moaning that I wish I'd have just given up on God or given up on church or given up on this or given up on that. Let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We do this. How do we do this? We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. Now, I know we all have these wristbands all over. We go around, what would Jesus do? WWJD and whatever it is and, and all of that kind of stuff. Slightly different here. He's saying, keep your focus on Jesus. Not just what would Jesus do. No, no, no. Keep your focus on Jesus. Keep your eyes fixed on him. Again, if you were in this morning, I was sharing about my daughter and she fell off her bike when she was learning on it the other day and she's sobbing. She's really grazed and uh, her shin and she's in pain and my slightly elder daughter's there with us and, and, and I did what I, I've seen them do on the telly and all of that kind of stuff and I get what they're doing and I, and I started going, hey, look, look at that giraffe that's on the side of your bike and how beautiful that is and hey, how many freckles have you got on its face? Can you count them? And she suddenly started counting them and she's looking at this giraffe and, and then my other daughter's kind of smirking because she can see and she's going, ah, look, all that pain's gone now. Why? Because her focus wasn't on the pain anymore. Her focus was on something else that she found attractive, a pretty little giraffe on the side of the bike. Anyone ever found Jesus attractive? I would suggest he is incredibly attractive. And I don't mean in the boy meets girl attractive. I mean in the wow. He is, he is gleaming. He is gleaming. Keep your focus on Jesus. When the trials and the persecution and the troubles and the problems hit, when it's difficult, when the pain comes, the way you deal with the pain is you focus on the joy, on the pleasure that's ahead, on the pleasure that you know that is going to cause that pain that you're feeling now to feel like nothing. And when you get there, anyone done that? You've maybe worked hard to save up for something and it was hard work and it was tough. And then you get the thing that you saved up for, your first car or, or the house or whatever it is. And then all that pain that you went through means nothing, does it? It means nothing. It means nothing. And I tell you, it's the same in the Christian life. If you focus on the prize, if you focus on the end, if you focus on the joy that is to come, when that, when that, when our master, when the Lord says to us, well done, well done, good and faithful servant. Can you imagine for a moment what joy is going to fill your heart to hear God saying to you, well done, good and faithful servant. You didn't give up. You kept on going. You saw it through to the end. You endured. You ran the race. You made it to the finish line. 
you've done it, all that pain, it'll be worth it. It'll be worth it. We won't be focusing on that at that point. And the way to get to that point is not to focus on it now. It's to focus on the joy ahead, to focus on the prize, on the crown of righteousness that's promised to us. It's all there for us, folks. It's all there for us. So I may not have given you an answer, a theologically fantastic, brilliant answer on, on pain and suffering and all of that stuff and, and everything. It might have been short and brief. And I've only gone over by four minutes and 19 seconds. Not bad, eh? Thank you, Eleanor. But I tell you, it works. It works. Gospel's not complicated, folks. It's not complicated. It's really, really simple. Keep your eyes fixed on him. Keep your focus on him. Make him your focus. And the troubles that you're going through now, the difficulties, the problems, whatever they are, they will seem as nothing. In fact, I would suggest this. You'll maybe even forget about them. Have a great week. God bless.